0: Hi, I'm George Anderson, Senior Minister at Second Presbyterian Church. As part of our congregation's gift to the larger church, along with Union Presbyterian Seminary, we co-sponsor the Kitty Susan Trent Symposium for Newly Ordained Ministers, a continuing education event for new ministers that seeks to provide mentors, peer relationships, and effective resources for ministry. On the occasion of this year's symposium, my friend Dr. Ed McLeod, Minister and Head of Staff at First Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, and facilitator of the symposium, was invited to preach. May his message today and the love of God give you hope for tomorrow as together we worship.
1: Friends, let us join our hearts together in prayer. Holy God, we ask that in the word as it is read, proclaimed, sung, and enacted in sacrament, That the living word made flesh will find a cradle within our hearts and lives.
0: Amen. If you'll permit a a brief interruption in worship, I do have a word of thanks and a word of apology. The word of thanks is for the uh, invitation to be back as a part of the Trent program and the invitation to stand in this particular place in this beautiful sanctuary. So uh, I'm grateful for that. The apology is is that when I realized I was preaching today, I looked at the lectionary and all that sort of stuff. It never dawned on me that today was Mother's Day. Um, um, And so as I said to the early service folks that if you came here hoping for some warm sentimentality from me, uh, I got nothing for you. Nobody has ever associated the name Ed McLeod with warm sentimentality anyway, Um, but the very fact that I am here spending Mother's Day weekend with George and not the mother of my children uh, (laughs) let's, lets you know that I pay very little attention to calendars Uh, but I will say of all the holidays created by the greeting card companies Mother's Day is the most important to me and George's prayer uh, gave me a chance to reflect on how much uh, my own uh, late mother's love meant to me and the mother of my children and the mothers of my grandchildren mean to me so I do thank George for his prayer. It has dawned on me that we human beings are the only beings on the planet who need to be reminded to worship. We're going to look at a couple of scripture passages today that center on worship, but that's the, what I want you to think of is that we are the only beings on the planet who need to be reminded to worship. First, we turn to 1 Chronicles, the 16th chapter, beginning at the 28th verse. And so, listen with me to God's word. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. Tremble before Him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord is King. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then we fast forward to the last book of the New Testament, the book of the Revelation from the seventh chapter. Here we hear another word about worship. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and all four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, singing, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, Amen. Then one of these elders addressed me, saying, Who are these robed in white and where have they come from? I said to him, sir, you're the one that knows. Then he said to me, these are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of water of life and God will wipe away every tear from their
1: eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks
0: Thanks be to God. So you see, throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, we are introduced to the idea that the whole creation praises God. The sea resounds in all that fills it. The rivers and the mountains sing together for joy. The prophet Isaiah says that the mountains and the hills shall break forth in singing, and the trees themselves will clap their hands. The psalmist writes, praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures, all the ocean depths, lightning and hail and snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, let them praise the name of the Lord. And this idea has found its way into some of the great music of the church. You listen to that anthem. Did you read the words, field and forest, vale and mountain, flowery meadow, flashing sea, chanting bird and flowing fountain, call us to rejoice in thee. Obviously, this is heavy in metaphor. Trees don't have hands to clap. But the biblical writers had this clear sense that the whole creation, animate and inanimate, points to God, glories in the presence of God, points to God's grandeur and creative power. So from a biblical point of view, the whole world seems to pulsate with this sense of the goodness and the glory of God. The whole world orients itself around and points toward the God who called this whole thing into
1: being. But you and I,
0: we who like to think of ourselves as the pinnacle of creation, sometimes we forget to worship. Or maybe more
1: specifically,
0: sometimes we forget to worship God. Having put other things in the center of our concern, having come to adore and bow down to gods that are not God, we are so easily distracted. And mostly, truth be told, we just have a hard time taking our eyes off of ourselves. As a neighbor friend of mine likes to say in moments of honest confession, I'm not much but I'm all I think about. (laughs) There's a lot of that going around. And sometimes we forget to do what the world around us is doing all the time, which is to stand with gladness in the presence of a God who creates and sustains and redeems us in a posture of wonder and adoration and praise. Or maybe what we've done is reduced worship to this thing we do for an hour or so, once a week or so, that worship is not the defining characteristic of our lives, but something we have on our weekly calendar, a box to check, something we're committed to doing, unless something more important or more enticing comes along, as it does. I've come to the conclusion that if I had to define and describe the Bible in one way, I would not say that it is a book of laws. I would not say that it is a book of religious history. I would not say that it is a manual for living. I would not say that it is the answer to all of our deepest questions. Instead, if I had to describe the Bible to define what it is at its core, I would say that the Bible is basically a long call to worship. It is an invitation to live in response to the goodness and the grace of God, a life then of grateful praise and glad thanksgiving and extravagant generosity. It is a call to worship. It is an invitation to put God at the center of our lives so that we are shaped and formed and transformed by this highest devotion that exceeds all other devotion. And then the last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation, invites us to think about something that has always intrigued me. It invites us to think about the fact that there is ongoing and eternal worship taking place in heaven. And how our worship here is a way of participating in that act of ongoing worship. So that what we are doing in here for an hour or so on Sunday morning is a part of this cosmic impulse to glorify God and to celebrate God's goodness and God's grace. So that when we sing our last hymn and go home, worship has not come to an end because the heavens continue to echo with the songs of worship and praise. It's just that we have paused long enough to go back to the work of making a living and raising a family and tending to our lives. But that when we come back next Sunday to take up this most important work, which is to stand on holy ground and remember what matters most. When we come back, we're not starting from scratch. We are just jumping back into a time of worship that has never stopped. It's like jumping onto a merry-go-round that didn't stop just because we jumped off last week. That might be an odd concept to grasp, so I'm going to give you a woefully inadequate illustration of what I'm trying to say. Way back in 1972, in support of the U.S. Olympic team, my neighborhood swim team back in Hampton, Virginia, we did a swimathon to raise money. Ten guys from our swim team pledged to swim 100 miles in a relay and asked family and friends to support us with a few pennies or a few dollars per mile that we would then send on to support our Olympic athletes, who back then were all amateurs, if you'll remember. But 10 of us, swimmers, 100 miles, so each one of us would swim in half-mile increments. And so one guy would swim a half-mile, then would rest, while the next nine people swam half a mile. It took a while. Not an eternity, but it took a while, more than a day, so that the swimming went from morning to noon to night and into the next day. But even when you were not swimming, the swimming was going on. Even when you were resting or eating, not even thinking about swimming, the swimming was going on. Even when you were not fully engaged, the progress was being made. There was never a time in those 30 hours or so when someone wasn't at it when someone wasn't giving their full attention to faithfully keeping at it lap by lap by lap. That image helps me think about how our worship is a part of something that is bigger than what we do in here. We're connected, of course, to other worshipers in Christian churches all around the country and the world. But even if there was a moment where no one on the planet was engaged in an act of worship, worship would still be happening. Because it's happening right now. It's happening when you slept last night. It happened before you got here this morning. It's going to be happening when you take your nap this afternoon. And it's going to be happening all week. But it is our unique and singular privilege for this hour a week to jump back in. To blend our voices with the voices of angels in heaven and the church triumphant. To jump in and be a part of something that is cosmic in scale as we worship the one true God, the source of our hope and our joy, and the rock upon which we stand. Which is enough to think about. But here's something else to think about. What if the scriptures are also inviting us to extend our experiences of worship beyond this one hour a week? don't panic. I'm not suggesting that we lengthen the service. Though I do think it is not lost on the clergy that you will voluntarily go to a movie or a sporting event that you know is going to last two and a half or three hours. But we notice when you get a little antsy, when it looks like the preacher is not going to wrap this thing up in an hour. But I'm not suggesting we lengthen this worship service. What I am suggesting is that the scriptures invite us to a posture of worship throughout all of our days that we are invited to live with an awareness of God's grace, God's bounty, God's providence, and God's love. Thus, worship is not simply the thing we do when we are in here between the prelude and the postlude, but worship is what we do when we begin to notice that God's glory is all around us, that evidence of God's kingdom is all around us, causing us to worship if we'll notice. Many of you know the name Eugene Peterson. Years ago, Eugene Peterson and his wife Jan decided they wanted to become bird watchers. They were already bird watchers, but they wanted to be really good at it. They wanted to be more keenly aware of the birds they saw in flight. They wanted to know their patterns, their songs. They wanted to have a fuller appreciation of the birds they already loved. And so through a mutual friend, they found an enthusiastic young bird watcher who agreed to guide them. And so one day, the three of them set out from their home at Flathead Lake, and they drove through a little village, Elmo, Montana, a small town in a poor region. They saw a few flimsy houses, a a car rusting in the front yard, no gardens, a few trees, a pretty desolate place. But as they passed through the town, the young bird watcher said to the Petersons, how many birds did you see as we passed through town? And the Peterson said, we didn't see a single bird. To which their young friend said, I counted nine different species. So how in the world did they think they could, how could he see nine different species when they didn't see any? And it dawned on them, it's because they had been looking at the dilapidated houses and the rusted out ford and the dreary landscape. Their eyes were drawn not to the beauty of the birds in flight, but to what was less than beautiful. And they learned that if they were going to become attentive bird watchers, they'd need to adjust their focus and begin to see what they had not been able to see. The scriptures remind us that the world is ablaze with the glory of God and that if we are attentive to it, we might just join the trees and the seas and the creatures of the earth in worship. The problem is our eyes are too often drawn to what is dreary and depressing, leaving us dreary and depressed. Now, to be clear, this is not a call to ignore what is broken and in need of mending, because so much is. And we are to be about the business of bringing healing to the world. But our first order of business is to be a people of worship. To be a people who take delight in what is good and beautiful to notice gestures of kindness that happen all around us, to notice the sacrificial love of Jesus that we see in some of those of us who are trying to follow Jesus. You may have heard the feel-good story a couple of years ago that the story of a concert hall, Boston Symphony Hall, where a Handel and Haydn Society, one of America's oldest performing groups, had just finished this spectacular rendering of one of Mozart's most famous pieces. And as often happens, sort of as happens here after a glorious anthem by the choir, there's this kind of hushed silence as people just take in the fact, basking in the beauty of what they've just heard. And that was going on in Boston Symphony Hall until a young boy's voice simply expressed what everybody in the room was feeling as he shouted out, wow. Turns out, you learn more of the story, that wow came from a nine-year-old who is on the autism spectrum and is mostly nonverbal, but the presence of overwhelming beauty caused the wow to bubble up in him.
1: That's what happens.
0: We're in the the presence of beauty and a glory that takes our breath away. Wow is a worship word. It's not a word you actually find in the Scripture except it's on every page. As the people of God on every page take note of God and what God's
1: doing in the world.
0: If I might speak to this present moment that we are in, if the function of the Bible is to call us to worship, perhaps we could suggest that the primary function of the clergy is the same thing. That the reason you keep George and Elizabeth and Ben around here is not that they are just nice people, is that you want somebody in your company who reminds you to think about God. It's the reason my people keep me around. It's the reason that these young Trent folks, it's why they do what they do. It's because the communities who have called them need someone within the community to call them to worship. This is actually my favorite definition of the church, that the church is a community of sinners, a few of whom have been given the Responsibility to keep the rest of them thinking about
1: God. To keep the rest of you paying attention to God and what God is doing and what God plans to do in us and among us and through us so that the more we begin to notice the more our lives are shaped by worship
0: and praise and adoration. There is so much goodness and beauty in the world all around us all the time that if we begin to take note of it and delight in it, we just might find ourselves worshiping when we didn't expect to. Not because it's Sunday morning and some preacher tells us it's time to worship but because we've begun to notice that we live in the theater of God's glory.
1: And even if it's not time for church, it's always time for worship. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Second Presbyterian. Finding direction by following Jesus.